1: Today's scripture is from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah chapter 12. You will say on that day, I thank you, Lord, though you were angry with me, your anger turned away and you comforted me. God is indeed my salvation, I will trust and won't be afraid. The Lord is my strength and my shield. He has become my salvation. You will draw water with joy from the springs of salvation. And you will say on that day, thank the Lord, call on God's name, proclaim God's deeds among the peoples, declare that God's name is exalted, sing to the Lord who has done glorious things. Proclaim this throughout all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, city of Zion, because the Holy One of Israel is great among you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As I'm sure you're aware, the traditional color of Advent is purple. That's right. But on this particular day, the third Sunday of Advent, the color shifts just for one day, and we light a pink candle. Technically, for the liturgical purist among us, the color isn't pink. It's rose, so just remember that for, trivial, uh, for uh, next time you play Trivial Pursuit or something. There's also a special name for this particular day. Sometimes it's referred to as Rose Sunday, or often it's also called Gaudet Sunday. Gaudet is the Latin word for rejoice, and in the old Catholic Latin mass, the first words that the priest would say to the congregation was Gaudet indomino simper. Gaudet indomino simper, rejoice in God Forever rejoice. That's the theme of this Sunday. That's the, the mood of this Sunday. Rejoice, as in rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. The purpose of Rose Sunday or Gaudet Sunday is to infuse in the midst of what can be a fairly dark season, a, a bit of lightness, a bit of light. Even though we anticipate Christmas coming and the celebration of light coming into the world, Advent is more a season of darkness, a time of preparation. And so this third Sunday, this rose Sunday, is an opportunity just to take a little bit of a breath from the heaviness to anticipate the joy that is to come. That's the word for the day, really, joy. Joy for the birth that we will celebrate, a deeper joy for acknowledging God's divine action in sending his Son, a joy that's possible even in the midst of darkness. Howard Thurman once wrote, Christmas returns as it always does with its assurance that life is good. How life is good, why life is good depends very much on how we understand joy. Joy is a word that we often use interchangeably with happiness. Sometimes we say we're happy. Sometimes we say we're joyful. And oftentimes we mean basically the same thing. But there is a distinction. Happiness is that reaction. It is that emotive response. It is the feeling we get when in a moment, a certain situation, a purpose, a thing, makes us feel good it gives us pleasure it makes us happy happiness is dependent upon any given moment or situation and the degree to which I like it the degree to which I find it favorable and this time of year there's a lot to make us happy isn't there as the song goes it's the hap happiest time of the year We have parties to make us happy. We give and receive gifts that make us happy. When you see a child's face on Christmas morning, you can't help but be happy. Being with friends and family is a source of happiness. Good food, good drink, good music, decking the halls, what could be happier? In fact, at Christmas, your happiness is is virtually guaranteed. If you don't like shopping, Well, just pull out your phone and order all of your Christmas gifts online and they will likely arrive the next day or maybe even sooner. If you don't like the Christmas song you're listening to, well, subscribe to Spotify and pick the song you want. If you want to watch your favorite Christmas movie, you can do it. They're streaming constantly. Just just pick the one you want and download it. Or if you're desperate, go to the Hallmark Channel. There's Christmas 24 hours a day. If you don't feel like cooking, order from your favorite restaurant and Uber Eats will bring it to you. I even saw a commercial this week that if you are decorating your house and you run out of lights, you can call Walgreens and they will deliver decorations right to your door. You don't have to go to all the trouble of getting in your car and driving all the way to the nearest Walgreens. What a hassle. And if you don't get what you want for Christmas, that thing that you knew would make you happy, it'll be half off the day after Christmas. You just buy it for yourself. How can we not be endlessly happy this time of year? And by the way, we live down the street from Disney World, which says it's the happiest place on earth, and thousands upon thousands of people come here every year just to be happy. How could we not be so hap-hap-happy this time of year? As I was preparing for today, I also discovered something I didn't know, that there are an abundance of companies, restaurants, real, t- real uh, retailers that offer what they call a 100% happiness guarantee. This is a real thing and is offered by many. If you are not 100% satisfied with the service you've received, the meal you've received, the product that was sent, they guarantee they will refund you or replace the product that makes you unhappy. But I'm thinking, how can you be 100% happy if you've already had to call customer service to let them know you're unhappy? But just think about it, 100% happy? Guaranteed 100% happy? Wouldn't that be wonderful? There's a lot of days I'd settle for 80% happy. There are moments I would settle for 75% happy. There are days I would go for 50 50. 100% happiness? guaranteed how wonderful no more sickness no more disappointment no more sadness no more waiting in line If you ever have a bad day at work or an argument with your spouse, even if she's right and you're wrong, if you ever get stuck in traffic on I-4, if your favorite team ever loses, even if the other team was really better anyway, if you get that letter from the IRS, if you ever get bad news from the doctor, just call customer service and you get a full refund for that particular day. Wouldn't that be something? But life isn't like that, is it? I mean, there are moments that we're ecstatically happy. There are days that are filled with happiness, even seasons, but there are also days, moments, occasions, seasons that we aren't as happy. And as much as I think God delights in our happiness, as much as I believe God enjoys our happiness, is happy when we're happy, God never guaranteed. happiness in this life. You and I both know so well that life has ups and downs, peaks and valleys, highs and lows, happy and unhappy days. Just imagine when you married your spouse, if the pastor had asked if you would commit to make your spouse 100% happy for the rest of their life. How many of us would have been successful at that? Instead, what most of us vow at our weddings is to love, honor, and cherish for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, acknowledging that there will be much happiness, but there will be unhappiness as well. Let, Let me tell you about happiness. Can I tell you about happiness for a moment? Happiness was this week when I discovered that Helen Kirst had made me a homemade coffee cake. And I have been happy every day eating it. Now, it says on the note that it's for the Rains family, but I know what she meant. <laughs> and I'm enjoying as much of it as I can get away with. But here's the problem. With each bite, sorrow approaches. <laughs> My happiness will soon be ending. Soon, I mean, soon. When that coffee cake is gone, sad days are in my near future. There is a difference between joy and happiness, and that doesn't mean happiness is a bad thing. Happiness is a wonderful thing. Both happy and joyful people laugh. Both happy and joyful people smile. Both happy and joyful people have fun and enjoy life. But happiness is dependent upon circumstance. Have you ever noticed how happy you can be one moment and unhappy the next? Certain foods make me happy, others not so much. Certain people make me happy, others, hmm. There are certain conversations I enjoy and others I'd prefer to avoid. There are aspects of my job that I find delightful and other parts, mm, you know. <laughs> happiness, happiness depends on circumstances aligning with our particular desires, preferences, needs, and those vary from moment to moment. Joy is something else. Joy is deeper. Joy is something that can persist regardless of circumstances. Any given moment, I might be happy or unhappy, but I can be persistently joyful because joy is rooted in something much deeper. It's rooted in the belief, the promise that life is indeed good. Life is fundamentally, essentially, dependently, persistently good because God is good. A particular moment might not be so good. A season of my life might not be so good. A particular outcome might not be so good. But life is persistently good because God is good and God is real and God is present and God is always at work there's a tradition in the African American church the pastor will say to the congregation God is good well you know it but you weren't enthusiastic about it God is good all the time. and all the time that is the root and the source of true spiritual joy Julian of Norwich is famous for saying all will be well no matter what's going on around you all will be well And all will be well, and all manners of things will be well. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with happiness. I like to be happy as much as anybody else. I think God believes in our happiness, longs for our happiness, but happiness comes to go. And so God offers, in addition to our happiness, joy. It's not the spiritual substitute for joy. For happiness, we can be both. Experience happiness as it comes your way, but seek Joy. Richard Rohr wrote, God, Christian maturity is the ability to live joyfully in an imperfect world. Let me read that again. Christian maturity is the ability to live joyfully in an imperfect world. I've been in ministry of one form or another for for 30 plus years. One of the things that still surprises me Is that often when I go to visit with a family in the hospital or in their home shortly after a loved one has died, how often there is laughter. Yes, there are tears and yes, there's sadness, but so often when you gather with a family after someone has died, someone starts telling stories and soon everyone is laughing that there can be joy even in the midst of grief or I was thinking about a visit I made to a retired pastor who I had served with early in my ministry. I had heard that he was dying of cancer and that he was near the end. And so I went and visited with him on a Thursday night. and We shared memories with each other and we talked about our call to ministry and we laughed. And he even said, you know, I might beat this cancer thing. I might just live. I think I've got some more sermons I want to preach. And I said, what What do you want to preach on? He said, I think I've learned some things about death and dying that people ought to hear. The next day he was in a coma. The next day he was dead. But for a couple hours we had joy. In one of my former churches, on my very first day at the church, I went to the hospital to visit an older member named Delcia. Delcia had cancer. She too was dying and knew it. In fact, she was had cancer and was dying the entire time I knew her. Frequently when I would visit, I'd say, Delcia, how you doing? And she always responded the exact same way. She quoted the old hymn, Trust and Obey. She'd say, trust and obey, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Trust and obey. And what other options has he given me? And she laughed. And she became my teacher, teaching me what it meant to die with faith. Just one other story. Many, many years ago in the 90s, I was serving a church, and a member of our church who was one of our pillars discovered he, too, had cancer. And the doctors said that there was no treatment available for his type of cancer, and he likely had less than a year to live. Rather than letting that defeat him, he got busy. He finished some some details of the family business to get their affairs in order. He even completed a few tasks at church for us. He walked his daughter down the aisle at her wedding. He attended his son's graduation from law school. He and his wife played bridge, and they achieved some high-level achievement during that time. And I went to visit him the day before he died, which you would expect to be a, a somber, sad moment I opened the door to his hospital room. He sat up in his bed, reached out to me, and gave me a big smile and spent the entire visit telling me how much I had meant to him and how much he believed in my ministry. When I prayed with him and said goodbye, I knew I'd never see him in this life again. And yet that visit was so full of joy. Joy can exist in a hospital room joy can exist in the heart of someone dying of cancer joy can exist even in the midst of grief it's possible to be joyful even when we're profoundly sad in fact i've heard one of the the clearest surest signs of someone's relationship with god and their spiritual maturity is their ability to be joyful no matter what Of course, we also know it's possible to be deeply religious without any joy in your heart at all. St. Teresa of Avila once said, from somber devotions and sour-faced saints, good Lord, deliver us. (laughs) Amen to that. Joy, the source of joy, is rooted in the conviction that life is indeed good because God is good. All the time. Earlier I read to us from Isaiah chapter 12, which occurs fairly early in the book of Isaiah. In fact, the readings from the last two weeks have also come from this first part of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah warned the people along with the other prophets that doom was inevitable. They had neglected God's ways, and enemies had gathered at their borders, and soon Israel would be destroyed. The people of God would be taken away to foreign lands as slaves. And yet, even as they faced inevitable hardship, there was encouragement God will be with you, God will be faithful. God will work. And it's in the midst of this context that hope for a Messiah was born. I was particularly struck by verse 3 of Isaiah 12. You will draw water with joy from the springs of salvation. You will draw water with joy from the springs of salvation. That's a metaphor, of course, and a deeply meaningful metaphor in the Middle East and biblical times an arid climate, a desert-like place. You can imagine the importance of a well or spring on a farm or in a village or on a road as someone traveled. Water, finding a well, could be salvation. And that word is significant. You will draw water with joy from the spring of salvation. So often we think of salvation so narrowly, ultimately about where I go when I die. But biblically, the word salvation is much deeper and much more rich. It's more holistic. It's more close to rescue or healing. When there is something broken in my life, God wants salvation for me. If my relationship with God is broken, if my relationship with people are broken, if my family is broken, my community is broken, God desires salvation, healing, fixing, rescuing. You will draw water with joy from the springs of salvation. Joy comes from knowing that God cares so deeply about my well-being, my wholeness, my family, all things in my life. Even in bad times, it's trust that God is God and God is working. Father James Martin writes, The secular mind sees joy as an intense form of happiness or delight. The religious mind sees joy as intimately connected to belief in God, grounded in the faith even in tough times and nourished by the relationship with the divine. Joy is happiness in God. And for people of faith, especially during this season, The clearest expression of God's goodness and faithfulness is the incarnation, the birth, the life, the teaching, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 12, 6 says, Shout and sing for joy, city of Zion, because the Holy One of Israel is great among you. The Holy One of Israel is great among you. Isn't that what we say about this Jesus, that we will call him Emmanuel, God with us? Isn't that what the angels told the shepherds? I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David city. He is Christ the Lord. And isn't it what we sing this time of year? Joy to the world, the Lord has come joy to the world joy to the world the lord has come there is joy and happiness in his birth but even more importantly there's joy in knowing what he came to do and what he accomplished as we also sing this time of year no more let sin and sorrow grow nor thorns infest the ground he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found so what's stealing your joy what's robbing you of your joy maybe it's happiness maybe it's the pursuit of happiness that sometimes fails you maybe it's a need for a deeper joy of knowing who God is and who God wants to be in your life Sometimes we theologically use words like sin and sorrow and curse to explain the human condition, to explain why there's suffering. But joy knows that God has acted, that the king has come, that the curse has been broken, and that God's love has been proven no matter what you're enduring these days, no matter what's robbing you of your happiness or joy, draw with water from the springs of salvation. It's available to you and it will never run out. Draw water with joy from the spring of God's salvation. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we pray for those among us who are struggling to find joy in this season. Remind them, of your presence in their life, oh God. Remind them of your faithfulness. Remind us all of your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future.